Well, hello everybody and welcome to our Habits of Grace week three. Uh, this is the slightly abridged version because I completely forgot to hit record while we had our actual session. So I'm going back and kind of doing the Spark Notes version of the thoughts that were shared. This week we are focusing on the word meditation and what does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, just some initial thoughts on this is that meditation is something that is unique to humanity. Like animals don't meditate. They don't really sit around and they're not wondering about the meaning of life. Like that's something that God has built in uh, special to mankind. Uh, one of the quotes from David Mathis that stood out to us is this idea that it's unique to humans to be able to actually stop and consider, like to chew on something with the teeth of our minds and our hearts, to roll some reality around in our thoughts and press it deeply into our feelings, to look from different angles and seek to get a better sense of significance. So to, to expand on that idea, like this is something that God has uniquely instilled in mankind to be able to stop and meditate and think on something deeply. So the, the question that we want to start off with here is because meditation is one of those words that can have some pretty cringy connotations, uh, we want to get a very clear picture of what does scripture say or what is it calling us to when it uses the word meditation. So let's start the conversation by taking a moment to think about what does the worldly view of meditation look like? Like what are some of our stereotypes that we think of when we hear, let's meditate? And then what does a, a true biblical view of meditation look like? Pause the video here, take a little bit of time to either talk with a group or to journal individually here on these two thoughts. Awesome. So this is what our group had actually come up with with our conversations on meditation this past time around. With worldly meditation, we saw a lot of things like emptying your mind or emptying yourself. It was self-focused, self-centered. It was this idea of like, I just need to step away and, and take some time to think about myself or figure out myself or, you know, it's that idea of like the in the moment, like what is currently happening and, and being present. Uh, and then like the idea like answers are coming from inside. So we really saw this resonating theme of worldly meditation, the focus is within. And then from a biblical standpoint, our conversations as a group really looked at um, filling with scripture, filling yourself with scripture, um, having constant thought throughout it rather than trying to empty your mind, being God-focused, or at least focused on this idea of a bigger power, and then the idea that answers can't come from inside. So we see this trending theme of without, like the answers are coming from outside of and from a bigger source rather than this internal look that we're trying to find our answers from. And the the viewpoints on this are, are kind of important when we consider where we stand on it. Some stats from the book Nothing Less by Jenna Magruder that really shocked Ryan and I as we were first putting this course together a couple years ago is we see that theme of within and that theme of coming from inside yourself is really prevalent in our Christian culture. Um, so one stat that she looked at in her book was this idea of enjoying oneself is the highest goal of life or high school in life. And a lot of Americans agreed with that up to 84%. But then out of the Christians that were surveyed, 66% of them would agree with that statement. Uh, another statement that stood out is you enjoy yourself and find fulfillment, like find your purpose and fulfillment by pursuing the things you desire most. Americans agreed with that 86%, Christians up to 72% agreeing with that. But then this last one really stood out to us to find yourself, look within yourself. And that was 91% of the Americans interviewed agree with that. And out of the Christians interviewed, 76% felt that to find yourself, it needed to come from within. 
And when you think about the state of sin nature and the state of what's within our fallen being, that's terrifying. Just some, some thoughts on like worldly meditation, like Ryan and I see it even from our students, just where a lot of times, like if there's a tough relationship or a very difficult test or something like that, the kids will say, I just, I need to distance myself. I need to just take some time to focus on me. And yes, there can be some good to that. But if that's ultimately where that sense of purpose is coming from or where that sense of direction is coming from, it's, it's very dangerous. Um, the view of biblical meditation, some thoughts that we had on it was just remember, like as a being, I am sinful. And if I'm trying to find myself by looking within myself, like I'm just going to keep finding that sin. Remember that I am deserving of hell as a being. Remember that God in his grace loves me, gave himself up for me, has given me all that I need. Remember, remember, that, when, remember that I am called to daily pick up my cross and follow him. And all of scripture point to these truths that we need to be looking outside of ourselves. A couple more thoughts from David Mathis was that deep thinking on truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purposes of understanding application of prayer. That's what meditation, true meditation is from a biblical perspective. It doesn't entail emptying your minds, but rather filling them with biblical and theological substance, truth that comes from outside of ourselves, and then chewing on that content until we feel to begin to feel some of its magnitude in our hearts. So really we're seeing this ongoing theme and sense of true biblical meditation is coming from focusing on things outside of ourselves, focusing on God rather than trying to look inwardly and just rediscovering sin nature over and over and over again. We see this backed up throughout scripture, uh, like things like Psalm 1 verse 2 that we kind of base this initial thing on, which is talking about the, the blessed man is how that starts out. And it says that the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So we see that theme of like just finding that joy, not checking boxes off, but delight in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. We see in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We see in Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. We see in Psalm 119, stored up your word in my heart. I will meditate on your precepts. I will delight in your statutes. Uh, I, your servant will meditate on your statutes and I will meditate on your wondrous works. This is not something, meditation is not something that God has called us to shy away from or be afraid of when we approach it with this healthy biblical view of what it truly is. And he's clearly calling us to it throughout scripture. Psalm 119 goes on to say again, like, I will, which I love, I will meditate on your statutes. I'll meditate on your precepts. We just see that language used constantly throughout scripture. And if God's old covenant instruction to delight and meditate on the law could be so precious to the psalmist, how much more should the new covenant gospel captivate our meditation? That's exciting. So with this idea, this healthy view of meditation in mind, keep in mind that meditation really is the high point of our Bible reading. David Mathis phrased it like this. He said, I remind myself over and over that it's not about checking boxes, which can be a good thing, like having your Bible reading plan. We talked about that last week. But remember, that's not the end all goal. The goal is communicating with God or communing with God in his word through meditation and into prayer. It's kind of this process. And this is one of the steps along that process. And we'll get into that in a future week. Um, but yeah. So the next question that I want to take a moment to reflect on is 
why is meditation a lost art? Pause your video here and take a moment to sort of either journal or discuss with a group on this. Uh, but again, why is meditation a lost art? Does it come from distraction? Does it come from you know, negative cultural bias? Whatever that might be, uh, but take some time to process through that. Great. So as a group this past time, our discussion led us to some of these thoughts where meditation is a lost art because we, we don't have downtime. Like we're the champions of multitasking. We have a lot of technology that can assist us in doing that. And we just don't create intentional downtime. Uh, even entertainment in a variety of different forms is a distraction that takes away from that time of meditation. Another thought is we're just tired. Like meditation requires active hard work. It's not just passively, you know, soaking in something, but it's this idea of being active and it's, it's tiring, it's difficult. Um, sitting and thinking feels almost out of place for us now, just because we're so used to be, being able to sit and just sort of absorb something or vegetate on something or, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable when you sit down when you're waiting for something. It, it, I just went to the auto mechanic this past a couple of days ago. And as soon as I got into the waiting room and sat down, my first instinct was, well, let's just grab my phone and look. Like sitting and not doing anything felt very uncomfortable for me while I was there. And it just it struck me just having had this conversation. Uh, we're, we're so ingrained with the instant gratification just because we have so much at our fingertips. Even the idea of just that negative cultural bias, like when we hear meditation, a lot of times we don't think of the biblical definition as the first thing that comes to mind. Um, we think it's easier to find out what someone else thinks, like to be able to look at a commentary, which can be a good thing, uh, but to not think through that ourselves is where it could be dangerous, not meditate on God's word, um, being, again, uncomfortable with downtime we mentioned, and then even just the idea it's not taught as much necessarily. It's not something that we have Bible Sunday school classes on it regularly. It's just, yeah, it's not something that we see as commonly as maybe we should, as we see throughout scripture. So the follow-up to that then is what can we do practically this week to slow down in our Bible reading and savor God's word more? What are some simple, basic, practical steps and actions and intentional things that we can do to ex better position ourselves to meditate and have that kind of a time? So pause your video here and either discuss as a group, take some time to journal, but think through this question. All right, so here's what we thought through our discussions this past time. As we said, just the act of writing something down or talking about it with another person can be, you know, that piece of accountability that just makes it a little more real. So maybe take the time to journal or maybe take the time to actually talk to a friend, a spouse, somebody you trust about what you've read and what you've meditated on. One comment that we also had was the idea of reading the Bible more than reading about the Bible. So commentaries can be good, historical reference points can be good, but make sure that that's not what's filling your time more than the actual Bible itself. Um, even physically putting yourself in the best situation, like having a spot in your home that you have a pen ready to go and a piece of paper ready to go, and that is the place that everything is there ready to go for you so that you don't have to run around and find these things. Uh, even stop thinking about distractions. So like we, we're there, you know, we sit down and, oh wait, this chore needs done, or I need to finish up the dishes, or it just beeped and I need to unload it. Like, put yourself in a position where you're not going to be tempted to do those things that are still good and still need to take place, but building in that intentionality of, here's a time and space that I can do it. Um, even just your head and your heart focus throughout it, making sure that it's in the right place. Like, are you coming with to this with the check the boxes mentality, or are you being the dog that we challenged you to last week and really having that heart in the right spot? 
Um, I like this one of having a notepad to write your distractions down on. So when something pops into your head that is important and significant and you kind of have to remember it, just writing it down on the notepad so you don't have to mentally think about that until after you finish your intentional time. And then also just ask questions. Like we said that this is an active act. Meditation requires effort and energy. And it's not just like a passive read through of your scripture, but the idea of like asking questions and then taking those questions, maybe that's what you write down and take it to someone else and I'll seek advice and counsel on. So here were a couple more thoughts that Ryan and I had sat down and come up with. And we just put it in like a five step list, not five steps, five bullet point list. One is intentionally create a time and a space, which we saw kind of through that previous discussion there. But we recommend tying it to a concrete part of your daily routine. In our Catherine Forrester article that we had last week, she phrased it like this, tie it to some concrete part of my schedule, something that is, God willing, always going to happen. Uh, for example, mine for the longest time was breakfast. I would get up 5.30 in the morning, well before Elizabeth and Kylie, and it was just very natural when I had that time of, I'm going to eat breakfast every day because I'm someone that needs to, otherwise I'm starving by lunchtime, having my Bible out, having that with me, and having a little bit of that time before I needed to run off to work and get ready for the day was a very life-giving experience. And then I got really discouraged, actually, when quarantine happened and when everything sort of shifted around and my regular work schedule was now like from seven o'clock at night until midnight or one in the morning sometimes. And that breakfast time just all but disappeared and shifted to a later time when Elizabeth and Kylie were up with me, which was nice that I got to see them, but I was discouraged by that space disappearing. So something that encouraged me from that same article from Catherine Forrester is that the important thing is to find a time that you know is going to work and that being okay with the fact that that time may change from one season to the next. That's not always going to work for breakfast time for everybody, especially if you're not a morning person, but finding an intentional time that you know is going to be free from distractions or free from, you know, whatever it is that you need to eliminate as distractions. And that was our second idea there. We, we mentioned some of the more immediate thoughts of like phones and TV, but then we realized like, well, kids, you know, if you're in that situation and please don't think we're telling you to eliminate your kids, that's not good. But find a space or time where you know, or maybe your spouse is able to take the kids and, and um, play with them for a while, but just whatever that looks like to have that space where you know you're going to have a chunk of time without that distractions that are good things, but we could take up that time. A third thought was retreating, and that could look very differently. It could be something as easy as, you know, taking an hour or two where your spouse has the kids out for a walk, or it could look like a day or two or more and having an actual, like, set-aside retreat that you go on. Uh, but just taking time to worship, read, reflect, journal, whatever. So another thought that Ryan and I had was the idea of accountability that I know was mentioned earlier, uh, but just that idea of inviting others into our journey. And that can be more structured where it's, you know, by email, that can be something where you go through a piece of scripture together with somebody, but just having that chance for ongoing conversations about it, I think can be a really beneficial part which leads into that last thought of journaling, like actually physically writing down our thoughts. Uh, it could be a literal journal, it could be writing in your Bible. We saw a cool example of you know, some different methods of annotating and color coding specific things in your Bible. Uh, it could be writing in a document on a computer or phone, or even just emailing it to yourself each day, which makes it then searchable and um, easier to find and go back to. So just some practical thoughts. Uh, to try this next week. And we're not saying necessarily try every single one, but maybe pick and choose, try something that you think might work for you 
and see what kind of an effect it might have uh, as, you're, as you're going through. So the last thought that we wanted to add into this mix was just having some structure to the questions that we kind of filter our, our homework through or are slowing down in our meditation to help us do that part of the act of meditating on and thinking through and chewing on you know scripture as we're as we're going through so four questions that we adapted from i think it was anita keggies where we first got these uh to respond to this week as part of our homework the first question is what does god want me to know about him from this passage the second question to filter it through is how does this passage point me to Jesus and my need for him? The third is a little more generic. It's what verse or verses spoke to me today, but be specific about it and answer that question of why. You know, what stood out about it? Was it a question? Was it a, you know, a revelation that God gave you? What specifically stood out about it? And then the last question is what does Jesus want me to do as a result of what I've read today? So that's that actionable piece um, to think through and help us meditate and continue thinking through these pieces of scripture. So with that in mind, keep in mind, like we talked about the past couple of weeks, that we want to keep our focus in the right place. Our goal is not to let it turn into one of those checking the boxes kind of a thing, but to keep that focus on the heart of it. And we'll close with this thought from Catherine Forrester from that same article that we've been referencing. Where she says it's all too easy to get tied up in the forms of a discipline and forget its purpose. Reading the Bible for 30 minutes or even an hour every day does not save us. In itself, it's not even what sanctifies us. That takes the spirit applying these truths that we read to our hearts. A form such as daily Bible reading is helpful and important. However, our focus is not to be on the act of Bible reading, going back to those checkboxes, but on the God that we're reading about. With that in mind, as we head into this next week, our homework for you is we're going to slow down, just like the first um, week homework, and look at Colossians 1, 15 to 23 daily. We want to try to commit to that as a group to read daily with those four questions in mind to be kind of our filter as we go through. So, and, and also with that, take any of the practical suggestions, whether it was one that came from the class suggestions or one that came from what Ryan and I put together, and try something. See if that helps with that process of meditation, uh, and just explore around and try some different things to see what God might use that for with you. Well, thanks for joining us for this session. Sorry about having to do the recap there because I forgot to hit record, uh, but take care, and we look forward to what God has in store for the next time we're together. Bye.